0: for the next few weeks in this section between um, the revelation of Jesus' identity and the beginning of Passion Week about this line from the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, Um, because as Jesus tries to get get across to His disciples um, exactly what kind of Messiah He's going to be as He tries to completely open their eyes, there's going to be one temptation after another to misunderstand who He is and who He wants them to be. So, uh, we're just going to play with that line a little bit for the coming weeks, and I think it'll be helpful for us. Okay, so you guys know that I am a huge nerd, and one of the things that I'm most proud of is my love of comic books. I have a lot of comic books. I've read a lot of comic books. I've always been particularly a Batman fan. Batman fans out there? Anybody? Yeah, okay, like there's a couple of us. Thank you very much. Uh, And uh, if you are a comic book fan or a Batman fan, you know uh, that the greatest or arguably second greatest comic book ever written is called The Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns is the story of Batman in his, like, 50s, maybe even 60s. He has retired from crime fighting, and he's kind of called up out of retirement. So he's an, an older Batman and comes into a, a situation where the whole city is in turmoil. Uh, and in this particular story, uh, there is a, a gang of kids called the Mutants. They don't, they're not mutants. They don't have any superpowers. That's just what they call themselves. Um, but their leader is kind of a bestial monster of a man. And this guy is leading all these teenagers into this really horrible behavior. And I mean horrible stuff, right? It's a very dark comic book. And um, there is a moment where Batman discovers that the mutants, this gang of teenagers, um, have got all this military hardware like rocket launchers and bazookas. And so he's got to go stop them from invading the city, and it's more than like the police can handle. And so Batman gets in his Batmobile, but it's like 30 years in the future, so now it's a tank. Uh, and he drives his tank out uh, where this gang of teenagers with weapons is. And he only uses rubber bullets and he tries not to kill anyone, cause that's his big rule. But he uses his tank to disperse this um, armed crowd. And then there's a moment where the main bad guy, the mutant leader, who's like leading all these kids astray, is yelling at Batman and his tank. And I've got a picture of this panel. Um, so, I don't need you to be able to read the words, uh, but you get the image, right? We've got Batman's massive tank pointing its gun at this one guy, right? And, and here's the moment, right? Batman is, uh, you just leave that up for a second. Batman is thinking, um, this guy is like evil incarnate, And no one in the world would ever question my decision just to pull the trigger. I don't kill people, but I ought to make an exception for this guy. Except my goal isn't just to beat him. So I just beat him, then some other person will come along and lead the gang, and they'll uh, just follow that new guy and be, continue to be this problem in, in Gotham. And my goal isn't even to beat the kids. My goal is to reclaim the kids, right? My goal is to get all these teenagers who have been um, consumed in this gang uh, to get out of their gang mentality and have a different way of seeing the world. And the only way I can do that is not to blast this guy to kingdom come with my tank, It's to get out of my tank and fight him hand to hand in the mud so they can see that my way is better than his way, all right? So, Batman literally leaves the tank, next panel, and he jumps in the mud with this mutant leader guy, and they have it out, right? And it's like the best mud wrestling fight ever. It's really good, okay? Um, All right. I I think this is Unbelievably important for us this morning, um, beyond the fact that I really like Batman a lot. Um, I I, I think this story is so critical for us. So um, just go back to the tank for a minute and and leave the tank up, okay? Thanks. Leave it up for a second. So uh, we get a really, really, just hold that story in the back of your head. We get a really strange conversation in the Gospel of Mark between Jesus and Peter, right? So Peter says, Oh, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, Yeah, but don't tell anybody yet because you need to know that the Messiah, the Savior, is going to um, be rejected by everybody and then be murdered horribly and then be dead for three days and then come back to life. Not the message Peter was expecting to hear. And then it gets weirder because Peter says, uh, Jesus, you're wrong. Like, I'm going to rebuke you. i, I I can't imagine going up to Jesus and being like, Jesus, let me list the ways that you're getting it wrong. Um, but that's basically what Peter does. He rebukes him, and then it gets weirder still because Jesus is like, hang on a second, Peter. Hey, guys, come over here. See Peter over there? He's Satan, right? By the way, um, if you want to feel uncomfortable, have the Messiah call you Satan. It's, I don't think it's a good feeling, right? So, uh, in this moment, something incredibly important is happening, right? In this moment, um, we, we, we get the first and greatest temptation for Jesus. I think Jesus calls Peter Satan because what Peter is encouraging Jesus to do is the one great temptation that can take Jesus off the path of being our Savior of being the kind of Messiah he wants to be. Peter wants Jesus to be a safe Savior. He wants him to be a safe Savior. Jesus, we don't want you to risk your life. We don't want you to die. We don't want you to suffer. Just get out there and smite the bad guys and start a new Israel nation and get rid of the Romans. We just, just, you be safe and you keep us safe. You just take care of the bad guys, right? Now, Peter is Basically saying, hey, Jesus, I've always thought the Messiah was going to show up and beat all the bad guys up, and that's what I want you to do. Don't give me this nonsense about you getting beat up by the bad guys. That doesn't fit for me. And, and this is such a huge deal for Jesus um, because it is the one temptation that he might be vulnerable to. Because from the beginning, God has always been about risk. And this is really, really interesting for us. I think this temptation for safety, for Jesus to be a safe savior, is huge because from the beginning, God's always been about risk. So, this whole idea of creation, this whole idea of God making the world and inventing um, humans and animals and stars and planets, it is one massive risk for a God who already has everything before making anything. God's not lonely or bored. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are perfectly happy. They don't need us in any way. They say, hey, let's risk our perfect joy and peace and happiness to see what happens if we make some humans. Right? Seems like a pretty big risk. And the only thing that God could do that's even more risky than that is the incarnation. It's saying, hey, I'm gonna leave heaven and I'm gonna step down into earth. And I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to live like them. I'm going to become vulnerable like they are vulnerable. I'm going to become one of the things that I made. Uh, It is literally Jesus saying, I'm going to get out of the tank, right? And I'm going to get in the mud. And I'm going to wrestle the enemy. Because my goal was never to beat the enemy. My goal is to save all the people that are following him. Are you with me? It is this incredible moment um, where, where God said, hey, I'm willing to risk it all to save those I love, even if I have to mud-wrestle the devil on a cross. And so this is the great temptation for Jesus. It's to stay in the tank, right? It's to say, hey, I don't want to risk it all. I don't want to be that kind of Savior. I just want to be safe and do things from a distance. And instead, Jesus turns His back on that temptation, and He chooses risk. Okay, you can take that away. Thank you. We're done with Batman for the day. Um, So, uh, this is huge, because if you don't understand why this is such a temptation for Jesus, then you won't understand why it's such a temptation for us. Because this is the next thing that Jesus says. He says, hey, uh, I'm rejecting um, that temptation. I'm not going to be that kind of Savior. Um, I'm going to be an on-the-ground, boots-getting-dirty-in-the-mud kind of Savior, Um, but I need you to be that kind of disciple as well. He says, If you want to save your life, you might lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you might save it. Jesus says um, He's not looking for safe disciples. Jesus is looking for disciples who are going to be like Him, who will practice self-denial, cross and all, who are willing to give up what they have to gain what Christ alone can provide. And this is, this is kind of tough. The disciples are going to struggle with this idea for the next, um, really, the rest of the gospel. Uh, it reminds me, actually, of the story in, in Numbers, right? So uh, go back to Numbers with me for a minute. The Israelites have been following Moses and God into the wilderness. All these amazing things have happened. They get to the verge of the promised land. They send in the spies. Uh, they come back, and most of the spies say, uh, oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, you cannot believe how nice this land is. The food was really great, like the pastures are great, the forests are great, the, the farmland is great. But here's the problem it's really scary. Right? The the people there are enormous. They look like giants to us. In fact, we look like grasshoppers to them, and that's how we seem to ourselves as well. And so they come back and they say, Hey, you know what? I know what God wants for us, but it's just too risky. And so let's just, let's just do the safe thing. And, and you know what? Maybe in this case the safe thing is let's just go back to Egypt. I mean, slavery was bad, but at least in Egypt we knew what we were going to get, right? It was a familiar kind of bad. Let's just go back to Egypt. And let's be slaves again um, because we understand what we're going to get there. And here we're not sure. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt than risk our lives to be free. And I think we as Christians struggle with this exact same problem. We struggle with this idea of what it means to be um, risky disciples, unsafe students. Oh, we're okay about it when it's Christmas Eve, and we get to have presents and warm fuzzies, and we love it when we get to hear about God's grace and forgiveness and mercy, and we are all in when we're told how much God loves us and how great we are. Everybody wants a piece of that. But when we get to the hard work of discipleship, When we get to actually changing our lives, what we watch and what we listen to, how we talk to and about other people, what we do with our possessions, how we manage our emotions, what God has called us to do vocationally and relationally, there's all this cost to following Jesus. And faced with that cost, sometimes slavery to sin doesn't look so bad. It seems almost safer, doesn't it? Let's just go back to the way we used to do it. Uh, I've been reading this book I mentioned a few weeks ago called iGen, which is like iPhone generation. It's, those, it's about those folks who have been born since 2015 who grew up always having the internet, always having smartphones. Now, really so much interesting research about this from a sociological perspective, but one of the really um, compelling ideas for me out of that research has been the iGen's obsession with safety. And like… In general, that's kind of a good thing, right? People in in this generation are much more likely to wear their seatbelts, much more likely to not have sex before they get married, much more likely to not use um, um, risky drugs, much more likely to not drink, much more likely to not drink and drive or get in the car with someone who's drinking and driving, all these really, really good things that are distinctive about this sort of safety mentality that this new generation has. But like everything, there's a good and a bad side to that safety mentality. So, um, one of the the flip sides that um, this author writes about is the idea that um, this generation wants to be safe not just from car accidents and assault, but from people who disagree with you. Uh, She says, for example, take the most recent version of the safe space, now known as a place where people go to protect themselves from ideas they find offensive. In recent years, safe spaces have become popular on college campuses as responses to visits by controversial speakers. Uh, If students are upset by a speaker's message, they can come together in a separate location to console one another. John Zietz put it in Politico magazine, yesterday's student activists wanted to be treated like adults, today's wanted to be treated like children Um, This idea gets taken a little bit further. She goes on to say um, that some students um, want to go beyond offensive or extreme speech to being protected from anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or challenges them to question their actions. Everett Piper, the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, said a student told him he felt victimized by a sermon on a passage in Corinthians about showing love. Why? Why? because it made him feel bad for not showing love. In his mind, the speaker was wrong for making him and his peers feel uncomfortable. In this way of thinking, no one should ever say anything that makes a student feel bad, even if it might inspire him or her to do better. There's really an interesting concept for me that we have this, like, deep need to be safe, and it, it extends even to, like, almost silly things, like, don't say things I don't like to hear because I don't want to engage with it. And I think this obsession about safety is actually connected to this idea of maturity. John Tyson um, has five steps of what it means to move from a child to an adult, and his first step is a movement from ease to difficulty, from ease difficulty. And he says in a nutshell um, that we are called uh, to be in this maturing process moving from a desire to be safe all the time to a recognition that risk and difficulty and hardship are critical to life, that all of the most important things that we do in our lives come in those places of challenge and stress and hardship. Uh, And so, um, I think um, perhaps for our… physical and emotional and spiritual lives, part of what, what Christ is calling the disciples and us to understand is that we have to move from um, our, our obsession of safety to a recognition that God calls us to be risky disciples. Um, there's a, a pastor whose name I can't pronounce, Joffrey Bustamante, maybe, um, who in 2009 told a story about a mouse a great story. Uh, in a nutshell, he says there was a mouse, and one day the mouse was wandering through the house where it was kind of stealing food, and it saw a cat, and it was terrified. So it ran and fled away, and when it got safe, it called to its fairy godmother, and it said, um, you've got to make me safe. I'm so scared. Turn me into a cat so that can never happen again. So the fairy godmother says, okay, and she turns this mouse into a cat. Sometime later, uh, the cat is wandering across a prairie, and a dog spots it and chases it all the way to the woods. And the cat again is scared to death, and again it calls to its fairy godmother, and again it says, you got to make me into a dog, so I don't ever be scared like that again. So the cat becomes a dog. One sunny day, the dog was searching for food in the woods when a tiger spotted it. I don't know where we are where the tigers are. Anyway, the tiger spotted it and chased it all the way to the river. The dog was scared to death, and it called out for its fairy godmother, and it said, I want to be a tiger, so I won't ever have to be scared again. And so the fairy godmother makes him a tiger. And then one day the tiger is wandering through the forest, and it comes across these human hunters, and they chase it all the way through the jungle. And eventually it gets safe, but it's scared to death, and it calls out for its fairy godmother and demands to be transformed into a human. And the fairy godmother firmly replied, I have transformed you from a mouse to a cat From a cat to a dog, from a dog to a tiger, and now you want to be changed from a tiger to a human. I can make your body whatever you wish it to become, but if your heart remains the heart of a mouse, you will always live in fear. I love this idea uh, that Jesus is coming to the disciples as Moses is going to the people of Israel on the border of the Promised Land, and He says, your heart is of a mouse, right? You think you're a grasshopper in your own eyes. And until you begin to recognize that you're not a grasshopper and you're not a slave anymore and you're a free person, you're never going to be able to live into the freedom and the hope and the life that God has for you, um, that, that we have to take a step away from our obsession with safety. I'm not talking about being silly and frivolous. I still think you should wear your seatbelt, right? Um, but, but in ways that matter, in risking a relationship to share the gospel and reaching out to the last, the least, the lame, the lost— that this idea of what it means to have a Messiah is not that we get wish fulfillment or divine easy street, and it's not about remaking the world around us so that we can be more comfortable. It's about remaking us so the world is less comfortable with us around. That's, That's this project that Jesus is involved in with the disciples. He says, I want you to recognize as I am a God who disdains safety for the stake for the sake of loving you, so I want you to be a people who can give up safety for the sake of loving another. I want you to change from the heart of a mouse to the heart of the master. There is um, this incredible story that so beautifully articulates what it means to have the heart of the master, what it means to have a heart that's willing to risk everything for those that we love and are called to love. Uh, And so I want to play a little clip from this great story for you. So where's Hans? What happened to your kiss? I was wrong about him. It wasn't true love. But we ran all the way here. Please, Olaf, you can't stay here. You'll melt. I am not leaving here until we find some other act of true love to save you. Do you happen to have any ideas? I don't even know what love is. That's okay, I do. Love is putting someone else's needs before yours. Like, you know, how Christoph brought you back here to Hans and left you forever. Christoph loves me? Wow, you really don't know anything about love, do you? Olaf, you're melting. Some people are worth melting for. You're just maybe not right this second. Okay, great. So I just want to say you got Batman and Frozen in one week, so I hope you're feeling good about yourselves. Um, actually, again, there's so much Jesus in this story. Uh, but I love this idea that if, if Olaf is being a Christ figure here, um, Anna's the disciples, right? And she can't recognize um, that she is loved until she learns to love, right? She doesn't recognize that Olaf loves her enough to give up his life for her or that Kristoff loves her enough to give up everything for her um, or that her sister loves her until she can love herself, until she can give up her life and her safety for the sake of her sister. So, uh, I think this is the challenge. I think this is the heart that Jesus is trying to give to the disciples because it's His heart. And I think it's really a struggle for us in our world because um, so often we pass on something different, right? We pass on to ourselves and to our kids this idea that, you know, you got to watch out for yourself and take care of yourself, and it's about your safety all the time. And and as a parent, I struggle with this, right? As a parent, you know, like, I want my kids to be safe. And and you know I have arguments with my kids about wearing coats when it's cold. And, like, I I, I worry about all that stuff. Uh, And I worry about something bad happening to them, or I worry about… But you know what my biggest worry is? My biggest worry is not a school shooter. My biggest worry is not uh, that my kids will get hooked on some kind of drugs. My biggest worry is not that they'll drop out of school and make nothing of themselves. My biggest worry is that one day they live to like the ripe old age of 99 and they are comfortable and safe, and on their last day, they still have the heart of a mouse. That in the end of their life, they realize they have lived their whole lives like grasshoppers. They found slavery in Egypt and sin better than freedom in Christ. I want my kids to be ready and willing to spend their time and their energy and their freedom and their comfort and their safety and their lives for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if that leads them to North Korea or Iran or Afghanistan, or if that leads them to an uncomfortable conversation in a school cafeteria or talking to a friend who is an overwhelming loss and grief, or if that just leads them to be a little bit odd because they're not doing stuff that other kids are doing and they're doing stuff that other kids aren't doing, I'm great with it because all I want is them to have the heart of the Master this weekend I read a book by John Green called The Fault in Our Stars. Anybody read The Fault in Our Stars? Okay. About the same people that like Batman. That's great. Okay. Uh, Fault in Our Stars is an incredible book uh, about two teenagers uh, who both have cancer. They meet at a cancer support group, and they kind of fall in love, and it sort of details their story. It's, it's really unbelievably beautiful. One of the, the, the great challenges in the book is that um, the, the boy, Augustus, and the girl is Hazel. The boy, Augustus, really wants to do something with his life, and he's frustrated that as, you know, a kid with cancer, he might not live long enough to, to make a mark on the world. Um, and Hazel is really afraid of the opposite. Hazel's really afraid that uh, in dying, she's going to just, like her life will be and her legacy will be hurting the people that she loves because they're going to have to live without her, that she's almost certainly going to die before her parents will, right? before most of the people that love her will. At the end of the book, um, they both, um, before, um, uh, this is not like, they're not dead yet, but, but, but they're going on with their lives, and they write eulogies for each other. It's really a beautiful thing, and they have these, like, pre-death funerals. And um, in the eulogy that Augustus writes about Hazel, he says this, Almost everyone is obsessed with leaving a mark upon the world, bequeathing a legacy, outlasting death. We all want to be remembered. I do. That's what bothers me the most, is being another unremembered casualty in the ancient and inglorious war against disease. I want to leave a mark. But the marks humans leave often turn to scars. You don't get to choose if you get hurt in this world, but you do have some saying about Who hurts you? I like my choices. I hope she likes hers. I love this idea that um, while we'd all like to do something grandiose, right? we'd all like to be able to say that, hey, I live this risky life and because of my courage and because of the heart of the Master in me, I did this amazing thing for God. But sometimes... Sometimes the amazing thing that God is calling us to do is simply to take the risk to love someone, right? Because love makes us vulnerable. Love is the decision to get out of our tanks and get into the mud with people and their messy lives, right? Love makes us vulnerable. Sometimes um, the the mark that we leave is the scar… Um, that comes from loving a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent, a sibling, a refugee in South Sudan, a hungry family in Warsaw, that weird kid in your class, right? That's Jesus. Right? That's Jesus. He is an unsafe Savior. He is a scarred Savior who even today carries with Him, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the wounds of His victory. Jesus wants all unsafe students, scarred, risky disciples who know that it will not profit us to gain the world if we lose our souls, who recognize that our wounds can be victories as well if we gain them with the heart of the Master within us. Friends, the temptation to safety is strong, but follow Jesus, for He will lead us not into temptation. Thanks be to God. Amen.